Yesterday on the show, we told you about a book by Justin Davis called Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect. Really, just the title is Being Real. And Justin is one of our favorite guys. Uh, Justin and Trish, as a couple, are just beautiful people. And I was saying this yesterday toward the end of the show. I really believe this. One of the things that that makes Justin unique is he's a natural-born leader. If there were a group of people in a room and you know it was one of those social experiments to see who's a natural leader, Justin would would emerge, I think. But the way he leads is through vulnerability, through weakness, through honesty, through transparency. And that's what this book is about, and that's what we wanted to talk. When we sat down with him, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. that's just where it went. Mm-hmm. It immediately went to real, real talk about marriage, about life. About, about their dads. Wait yeah. till you hear the story coming up. Oh, my word, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so here's the deal. If you missed that conversation, or if this sounds like something you could benefit from, if you can just hang with us, Justin and Trish, we're going to share that conversation because it is about that. It's a little bit about what's in the book. It's about marriage. You're going to find a lot of great content uh, to start your day with Justin and Trish Davis coming up. A few weeks ago, we sat down with our friends Justin and Trish Davis. They wrote a book years ago called Beyond Ordinary about how their marriage was blown up and then gloriously restored. They've got a fantastic ministry. Justin's got a new book out. And when we sat down to just sort of uh, reminisce and get acquainted and uh, talk about what's been happening since the last time we had them in studio, we found out that through Ancestry.com, they each, within a few days of each other, found out that their dads were not actually their real dads. I mean, what are the odds? And uh, we asked them, who found out first? I think I did. Yeah. And then Trish was starting to have conversations. Of, like once we started understanding how ancestry worked, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think when we, we, we did it, Trish did it several years ago, but you don't really know what you don't know. Right. And sure. so then once I found out, she's like, wait a second, I need to do a little bit more investigating, mm-hmm. you know, into my own story. So Trish, did you have a feel, did you have like a, a nudge that, Never. I mean, um, I I was sharing off air that my dad is Hispanic and I was like the most Mexican white looking woman you've ever met. Like in my mind. Like I I never once which, you know, from the outside looking in, I did not realize I had spent my entire life trying to prove I was my father's daughter. Mm. And so then when it was declared I wasn't, Mm. um, I will say it was a tremendously dark time of losing identity. But now a couple of years later, um, I've had a, a rough relationship with my dad into adulthood. Um, this will, this is still pretty tender for me. Um, when he found out that I was not his daughter, there was like an acceptance and an adoption. I've always longed from him mm. because now I really wasn't his daughter 
but he spoke over me. You will always be my daughter. Mm. I love you and you are mine. And those were just healing words that, man, what Satan meant for harm ended up being like this really tender moment. And we're probably the closest we've ever been. Is that that's, that's incredible? So take us back just for a minute, and then we'll we'll jump into to Justin. So you get you get the report, and do you just you're just sitting there staring at it, or and I, then, I've experienced a, you know significant trauma, you know, in our family growing up of loss. But this was this was a whole other level. Um, I got uh, physically sick. And my mom has been my best friend my entire life. And so to feel like someone had withheld the truth from you, um, you know, last time we were here, we shared our marriage story where Mm -hmm. trust was broken. Um, And that trust was broken by my husband and my best friend. Now my mom, who is my best friend, like every woman close to me or a person I love has broken trust. And so it was just, I call it the picture frame moment where Everything in life that's supposed to look familiar in um, home no longer looks the same. Everything feels different and it's disorienting and you just don't know what's way, which way is up or down. Yeah. So how did you, how did, how did that conversation go with your mom? Rough. Oh, (laughs) I mean, do you call her? Do you get in the car and drive there or? Um, You know, it was. It was a really hard conversation, yeah, yeah. Um, and my mom had a mental breakdown a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. so she was kind of battling her own mm-hmm. um, mental health. So it was, it was hard to be able to own and have space for your own feelings, and then live in the reality of where she is, you know, mentally, physically, of having realistic expectations of what healing will look like. Yeah. And that's still very much a journey mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Justin, so tell us about with your dad. So yeah, so my my mom and dad went through a divorce after 36 years of marriage in 2009. During that process, my mom confessed to me that my dad wasn't my biological father, that he adopted me when I was two or three. And she told me at the time who my dad was. Um, And I had an opportunity to meet him in 2014, I believe, uh, about a few months before he passed away. And I just told Trish, we were walking out of the assisted living. I'm like, that that guy is not my dad. There is no way that he's my dad. And I called my mom and kind of confronted her about it. She was you know, just kind of, you know, stubborn and that, that is who it is. And so um, fast forward to 2021, I'm doing a funeral and my half brother and my half sister at this funeral and I meet them for the first time and I, that feeling comes back. Now it's been 10, you know, nine years. And I just said, um, would you do Ancestry.com with me? I said this to my sister and she's like, yeah, I would love to. So we do it. I text her about eight weeks later. I'm like, hey, tell me when you get your results back. And she's like, oh, they've been back for like two weeks. And I, <laughs> but I would have seen it, right, if we were related. Right. And, and all of these people then begin to populate my family tree that I have no idea who they are. And so it was like this realization again. And, and that, in, in some ways, you know, Bill, you kind of spoke to the hard, but it was even, even in this unimaginable situation, it was like God had paired us together to walk with each, each other through a circumstance. I'm going to get emotional that only the other person could understand. Mm. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like nobody else could have empathy for what you're feeling and what you're going through and the, the um, unimaginable grief, the layers of grief that you have to process in that. And it was like, when Trish was up, I was down. When I was down or when I was up, she was down. You know, we, we kind of balanced each other, but it was just, it was one of those moments where you're like, okay, you can see God's kindness and presence in that to be able to have somebody that the, the one that you love the most understands you the most. Yeah. And that was a huge yeah. gift. Wow. Mm. Wow. When we sat down to talk about Justin's new book, we also found out something a little bit surprising. They both found out within five days, six days of each other. This was years later uh, that their dads were not their dads. So you've walked through that. And so, Trish, we were talking off air a couple of minutes ago, just living in transparency versus authenticity. And just, you know, when you're, you're our identity is, is part of the DNA, the fabric of who we are. And when you wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm not who I thought I was, Talk about that as far as, as that that walk and having to look to the Lord as far as who we are. Yeah, I mean, it was such a stripping of like, just, okay, God is a rule follower at heart. It's really easy to get into the trappings of, but I, I lived the right way or I was the obedient daughter. I was the faithful wife, you know, whatever. And what I recognized through the loss of my like paternal identity of who my dad was, that nothing had changed with God. Mm. Like he is as faithful as he was the day before I found out to this day. And, and really it has been a reminder for Justin and I in our own story that we have fought to live in authenticity and transparency about the good, bad, and all the in-between and the beauty in it is that we turned into each other mm. rather than apart from each other. Mm. And that really was because he knew my heart to the depth of who I was before that happened. And Justin was like my safest person to be able to understand my heart as it was obliterated. Mm. Mm. So, Justin, uh, you've written a book that's going to be I coming have. out October the 3rd. Yes. Being real over being perfect. And I think you've been living a lot of real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, um, Trish and I do a lot of marriage events. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of that's been the core of our ministry for the last twelve years. But I was I was just sharing off air. You know, a lot of the comments that we get after those uh, events or after we speak at a church on a Sunday morning is how mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how did you change? How did you transform? How did you become different people? And I think all of us want to change. We all want to be more like Christ. Those of us who follow Christ, we all want uh, to be more loving and more patient and more kind. We all want to be people of forgiveness. And I think we try really hard to be better husbands, to be better parents, and we constantly feel like we're never enough, right? That's just an overwhelming sense. Uh, A lot of us try religion. More people are going to church today than at any time in human history but yet very few people experience the life change that they feel like Jesus promises. And so the book really is a kind of a response to that of God um, transforms the parts of our heart that we give to him, right? He can't change us into who we're pretending to be. And so when we feel like we're coming up short, what we often do is we just fake our spirituality Mm. rather than become the authentic people that we know God has called us to be. And so the book is kind of... uh, it, it. it's twelve or it's ten chapters that walk through a process of overcoming 
trying to be perfect and embracing what true transparency is so that you can experience the transforming power of Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I think he just, there was a, mm-hmm. a nugget, a gold nugget in there when you mm-hmm. say he can't change us into who we're pretending to be. Was yes. that what you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for, for it's, it's interesting, uh, all this talk about DNA and dads not being dads, you know, it's it was shocking, right, when I found out I'm not who I thought I was. Mm-hmm. But if we're all honest, we create false versions of ourselves every day. All the time. Yeah. yeah. At work, at our kids' soccer game, uh, at church, at home. Like we have these personas that we put on that aren't the real us. Yeah. And many of us are exhausted by that, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 the effort that we put into pretending um, is, um, is, it's exhausting and it can be so freeing to lean into. God loves you as you are, not as you're pretending to be, mm. right? And so he's not impressed with who you're pretending to be. He wants to allow Christ to transform you into the person that he created you to be. Years ago when you were here, you said something that has stuck with me all these years. And, and you actually, I did an endorsement in the book. Yes, you did. Yes, I saw it in there a couple minutes ago. He's got some copies here. And it has just stuck with me. And I think I even, I think that was part of my endorsement is, this was your quote, Justin, is the worst lie is the lie you tell yourself. Yeah. And I think that that just spoke to me because when you're, it's a lot, it takes a lot of energy yes. to convince yourself of fill in the blank, but just, just unpack that a little bit, just how detrimental that is. Yeah. I, I, not all deception is malicious. Yeah. Right. right? So it, it is sinful, but it not, it doesn't start out as malicious and, but self-deception is the worst of all deception because if we're deceiving ourselves, then everything that we think and say and do is filtered through that, self, that self-deception. So it's almost like we're incapable of telling the truth. And as I began to write the book, I, I began to realize that it's not just um, sinful things that we are deceitful about. It's insecurities that we live with. Mm-hmm. It's lies that we believe about ourselves, whether that was imposed on us by a parent or a coach or a teacher, or a friend. Um, there, there are deceptions that we buy into every day that if we believe those things, it prevents us from actually receiving and living out the truth of who God says that we are. And so I hope to not—this isn't a book to berate you. It's a book to empower you and to mm-hmm. free you. Like, there's a, a tremendous freedom— we, Trish and I say all the time, we go first so people feel comfortable going second. Mm, yeah. That's good. And so that's why we lead with— Authenticity. That's why we lead with transparency because we know that is the, the key to, mm. to transformation. The Morning Cruise, Dave Bill and Carmen here at the Joy FM. We're revisiting a conversation we had with Justin and Trish Davis just a few weeks ago. If you missed it, we just wanted to make sure that you caught the highlights. Justin has got a new book out, Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect, which Carmen wrote uh, an endorsement for. We're not bitter that you asked Carmen <laughs> and that you didn't ask either one gonna, of us. I was going to come up. Now I feel a little uncomfortable. Bill, it, honestly, it hurts Bill much more than it hurts me. Well, well I, I like to be included in the thank you notes of albums. That's my thing. Yeah, Bill the academic, Bill, though. Bill you know. is, Bill's often my ghost writer, so... We kind of work together <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is great. It's just, it's coming out. When's, when's the actual release date? You said? October 3rd. October 3rd. Yep, you can pre-order on Amazon. All right, so Justin Davis, Being Real, 
is greater than being perfect. Do you call it is greater than with yep. the symbol there? Yep. Okay. Greater all right. Than. I wanted to talk a little bit because this is all about identity, and our whole conversation's been about this just a little bit today. And I wanted to ask you, Justin and Trish, about just identity formation because yeah. that's such a big thing today. There, I think there was a generation for whom our identity was formed by what we do, mm-hmm. right? Who are you? Well, let me tell you what I do, what my vocation is. That's how I know my identity. Yeah. I think that the, those who are not part of that generation, people in their 30s, 20s, teens, are looking at identity formation completely differently. It's not necessarily through parents and heritage or job or whatever. It's through choice. It's yeah. whatever I choose. That's who I am. I'm going to declare that, perform it, you're going to affirm it, and that's how I know who I am. Right. Talk a little bit about identity formation and how you treat it in this book. Yeah, so I have a chapter on um, embracing your identity, and I think a lot of what you're talking about, Bill, is because we try to form our identity out of our self-esteem, and we discount or we don't look to our self-worth as the formation of our identity. So what I mean by that is self-esteem is conditional. Self-esteem is based on your background, your upbringing, your socioeconomic status. It's based on your talents, your gifts, how you're treated by teachers and coaches and parents and all of that. It's, it's so subjective and we base who we are on how we feel about ourselves or what other people have told us. Self-worth is not subjective at all. It's declarative. Like Christ declares that you have worth. And you have so much worth that he longs to be in a relationship with you. The God of this universe declared your worth. You bear his image. He sent a son to die on a cross for you, to redeem you, to restore you, to bring you back, to give you the freedom to live the life that you're created to live. And it's not subjective at all. Now, the, the problem is in our social media world and in cancel culture, we base so much of our identity on self-esteem or on how we feel. And I think reminding ourselves of our self-worth allows us to lean into the true identity that we actually have. And and it was really, this is a very personal uh, chapter for me, having wrestled through not just um, superficial identity issues, the deepest core identity issue. And I struggled for about a year identifying, like, good, good father. I'm glad you didn't play that this morning. Um, (laughs) There's still time. (laughs) That was a very difficult song for me uh, to to sing, to hear, to wrestle with, not because I didn't believe God was a good father, but because I didn't feel it, right? Like, uh, my belief system was still intact. How I felt was like, man, if I've had such father issues with my earthly father's, where's my relationship with my heavenly father? And I think, um, I think it may be Louis Giglio that says, you know, God is not the reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of your earthly father. And it was, it was trying to find my identity in that statement and going to God as a father that realigned who I am in him, that I am a son of God. Mm -hmm. I am a child of the King. I I am a co-heir with Christ. Mm -hmm. And when you can, you may have to repeat those statements and you may have to remind yourself of those things. But when you begin to not just believe it, but then allow Christ to form that in you, it changes how, not just how you see God, but how you see yourself. Mm. And isn't that, isn't that such a better way to be in relationship together with two people who are working to know who they really are in Christ? 
because it's exhausting mm-hmm. not only for yourself, but to be in a close relationship with somebody who's trying to pretend to be someone that they're not. Yeah. yeah. I think of that passage in Ephesians chapter one, I believe, where it says, in God's grace and kindness, mm-hmm. he bought our freedom through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's so much wrapped into that, that our Heavenly Father is good and He is kind and He is gracious and He gave us this ultimate gift of sacrifice. It's just this, it is um, the ultimate going first in hopes that we would go second. Hmm. Um, but it, it's a challenge and part of authenticity is acknowledging the truth of those feelings and acknowledging the truth of your situation and not just going high five Jesus got you it's like yeah. it's a real yes. it's a real thing yeah. yeah you have to you have to well, you have to talk through those feelings well one of one of the things that i yeah. noticed as i started writing the book is the people who were the closest to jesus mm-hmm. were the most honest with him mm. right mm. i mean mary and martha yeah. if you'd have been here my my brother wouldn't have died yeah. thomas i'm not going to believe you until i can touch your wounds like right. the mm-hmm. people who had the greatest proximity to the person of jesus christ mm. felt no reservation about being honest with him. Wow. That's, There's that's, a lot right there. That's good, Justin. <laughs> that's really good. Both of you. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go read the Ephesians passage. <laughs> I might even right read this now. book right here. So stick around. More with Justin and Trisha Davis coming up. It's always a pleasure to catch up with these two and have them in studio. I absolutely adore, just adore both of you. I'm so grateful, not to sound cheesy, but just so grateful that the Aww. Lord just caused our our paths to cross all those years ago. I mean, when you guys step into a room, you just you bring a sweetness and just a and, you know, energy can be a woo-woo word these days and I don't mean it that way, but you you just you change the feeling in the room and and y'all do go first and you you're just good people and I love you very much and mm-hmm. I'm just I'm I'm proud of y'all. I'm proud of the the story that you have. Uh, we've talked a lot about identity. Um, but you guys did write a book called Beyond Ordinary. When was that book released? 2013. 2013. Wow, yeah. so 10 years yeah. ago. It's been crazy. Yeah. And you guys are going to be in our area. Uh, yes. We Obviously, we cover three states, but you're going to be in the Florida portion of our listening area doing marriage uh, seminars once tonight. And just talk a little bit. Of, I mean, I, here's why I'm bringing this up, because yeah. obviously we've already talked about this, and y'all aren't even those people anymore. Um, but there are people listening this morning whose marriages are in trouble, Mm -hmm. I mean, and who's they're on the brink. And what would you say to them this morning? You know, it's interesting. We've worked with a lot of couples. I would say we work with a lot of couples in crisis, but I think um, a lot of people are finding themselves in crisis through natural life transitions, Mm -hmm. whether that be we were talking about our adult kids and just that season transition of jobs um, transition of like five years into marriage and it's nothing like you thought it was going to be. And that was really the premise of the book and continues to be this message is how do you have an extraordinary marriage and not just have a good marriage? And it's very important that if you are listening to know with our story, we got to that foundational truth through the affair. But I want to make sure that you know that you do not have to fail morally to find God in the depths of having a healed marriage. Mm-hmm. It's an invitation to first get real about your marriage. Like, 
what is off. And if you are in the midst of a crisis, it begins with acknowledging like, this is, this is hard. And I, I do feel hopeless. And it's an invitation to say, okay, God, what do I do next? And then trust. I'm telling you, no matter where you find yourself today, um, even if it's not in a marriage relationship that's broken, just a broken relationship, and you just feel done, or you just feel exhausted beyond, you know, beyond being able to know what the right next step is, I would just invite you to just pray this simple prayer, God, just show me what's next. Mm. And sometimes it's counseling, sometimes it's confession, sometimes it's a hot bath. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Or a hot well, cup of coffee. I was just going to say, sleep. Yeah. Yeah. one thing I would add yeah. to that is, you know, asking for help is not weakness. Mm, yes. I, I think, you know, for many of us, we do six weeks of premarital counseling. We're like, I'm good for the next 50 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. check that off. And then we go into this relationship and life comes at us and jobs and kids and responsibilities and finances. And we feel shame that we don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we've found when in working with couples is that just knowing you're not alone and you're not crazy mm-hmm. sometimes is so Good. free. Yes. <laughs> and that only comes as, yeah. as, as you ask for help. And if, if someone's listening this morning, let them know that there is hope on the other side, that yes. where you are currently, I mean, y'all are a living testimony. We're both smiling because yes. I just, I know when you're in a place of crisis, you just want to be on that next side. But I'm telling you the, the small moments of healthy work you do, Mm -hmm. they matter and they begin to pile up in a way that you begin living a healthy life. And if you've listened and stayed with us, bless you through all (laughs) of our story. But Justin is my person and Mm -hmm. I am more in love with him today. It'll make me emotional than I ever have been. And it's because we know each other intimately Mm -hmm. And we still love each mm-hmm. other. And there, there is nothing more um, romantic or beautiful in like true agape, sacrificial love, living life mm. than what we have today. And we have fought so hard to be um, healthy individually mm-hmm. so that we can be healthy Together. as, a, as mm-hmm. a marriage couple. Wow. There's one other mm-hmm. thing I want to talk about because um, we've talked about people who are struggling with identity, people who are with marriages. But Trish, you told a story years ago. If you're someone listening this morning and you know someone who is in crisis and you think, well, what can I do? Talk about the woman who parked down the street. Oh my gosh, Miss <laughs> Kathy. I, it is, it's hard. Like, how do you come around people in their pain? And Um, I had this woman that I didn't know for years. You know, with Justin's confession, uh, we were church planners at the time. Our kids were like nine, six, and three, and we lost everything. I mean, I lost my life, and it was decimated. And yet people, someone brought over like cookies, which sounds silly, but like it, it was such an act of love. But this one woman, she literally parked around the corner of our house where I couldn't see her, and she just prayed over my home. And so if you are walking with someone in crisis, the two things that could be such a game changer for them is to just simply ask them, what do you need? And then just show up. Um, The people that were able to hold space in my pain and still be for us, even being mad at Justin, um, those are the treasured relationships. And so if you can just show up for people and just simply ask, what do you need? 
And if it's just like, here, take my children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, that may seem simple, but you may be giving them the space to do the work mm-hmm. um, that they desperately need to mm-hmm. do. I think there's such an underestimation of the power of presence, right? We're so glued to our phones Mm -hmm. that just presence with another person that's hurting can be life-changing, right? It's, it's more than a text. It's more than a phone call. It's actually just sitting with them. And I I think that carries so much power that you, you don't have to have a counseling degree. You don't have to have all the answers. You could just be present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So good. You know, we talk often about uh, reading through the Bible, reading through the Bible, reading through the Bible. And I highly, highly, highly recommend reading through the Bible. I'm a little bit behind. I'm doing the the Bible reading plan, the Bible recap with Tara Lee Cobble. And I'm in Ezekiel. And if you're doing her Bible recap, if you're staying on plan, you started the New Testament this past weekend. I've already done the New Testament with her and I'm going to do it again. So I'm, I'm fine that I'm a little bit behind, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I'm in Ezekiel right now. And it's interesting because last year, and this is me just being honest. So don't, you know, don't send texts. This is just your sister talking, just having coffee conversation this morning. But it was last year. It was Jer- Jeremiah. I didn't think yes. I would ever get through Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got the whole sense why they really did call him the weeping prophet. Yes. I don't know why I'm struggling with Ezekiel this year. Sorry. Why I are mean, you laughing? Well, because uh, if you're going to struggle with a book of the Bible, yeah. Ezekiel's definitely in the top five well, let books me, to struggle with. Well, let's set the stage. And so in case some don't know what's happening in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a prophet. He's been carried off, you know, with the captives right. to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's the, the, the book is written from first person. And it's God talking through Ezekiel. And there's these crazy passages. And and I'm going to go two different directions with this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell me if you think, because I'm thinking about doing something. Tell me if you think I should. But like, for example, there's two different passages in Ezekiel. One, God makes him lay on his side or lay on his back for like 14 months. I had to lay on my back the other day for an hour and a half for a procedure. (laughs) I was so twitchy after an hour and a half and trying to move around and I'm getting sore and I'm like, okay, my time, my, my time limits up. I have Mm -hmm. to move and on my back for an hour and a half. And I'm thinking this is just an hour and a half. This wasn't 14 days or whatever it was. So that was one thing. Second thing, Ezekiel loses his wife and he can't mourn. And, you know, he can't mourn publicly, has to mourn privately. So mm. that stuck out with me. And there's mm-hmm. a couple others. Mm-hmm. But tell me if you think I'm being crazy about this. I love the NLT version of the Bible. That's mm-hmm. just my preferred version. Uh, it speaks to me. I like the way it's written. It's a good translation. It is a good translation. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the audio Bible on the way in. And I have listened to this. I mean, I've listened through NLT with Nikki Gumbel. I've listened you know, with Tara Lee, all of this for this will be my third time through the Bible. I think the the VO guy, the voiceover guy that's yeah. reading, he just sounds angry to me. <laughs> he sounds angry. And so I was driving in this morning. And I'm like, I'm ready to come up for what for air. I'm mm-hmm. ready to come up for water. I'm ready to come up for air. Like I need to come up from air and I yeah. need God is sounding because, you know, he's speaking, you know, yeah. for God. I'm like, oh, he sounds so angry right now. And I know God is speaking through Ezekiel to say, 
get their attention. Tell right. them. Right, because they're facing they're facing yes. judgment. They're facing the yes. covenant breaking. All of it. And that's all the message. Which is all the, us. All right. us. And so I'm thinking, do I switch translations uh, to finish this thing out? Honestly, that's what one of think? the things that can help you with, with Bible reading is yeah. to read in a couple different translations. And you might go back and listen to the NIV or the ESV. Because it'll be a different voice over It'll be a different voice. Right? I like the guy that reads the ESV a lot. I like his voice. He's not overproduced. He doesn't yeah. sound big and boomy. See, th- this is, yeah, we've gotten yeah. into that section. Yep. I'm just, so I don't think it's crazy at all. Okay. I think it's well, great. I mean, there's a lot to get stuck on with Ezekiel. Between all of his visions and yeah. prophecies and his yeah. crazy calling, yeah. there's a lot there. But it's it's really worthwhile, especially when you see how the New Testament develops some of those images mm-hmm. That are they're not designed for us to completely get it. Yeah, they point us ahead mm-hmm. to the incredible um, climax of the ages in yeah. the last book of the Bible, the Book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah. So, there's some great stories in Ezekiel. There are. There really. There. 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 There's some songs yeah. that have come out of some of those mm-hmm. stories. That is so the true. Valley of Dry Bones. Listen, exactly. One yeah. of my. F- rattle, ooh, my rattle. Oh, let's play that right now. We should. I'm telling you, that is my favorite part of Ezekiel. My favorite part of Ezekiel. And I hope also, as just even talking about this, I hope this demonstrates something to, to those who may be listening. You know, I've heard all my life, well, God is so angry in the Old Testament. I like the New Testament. You know, the whole Bible is about the story of God and his pursuit right. of yes. us. Yes. So I hope even just having this common, uh, this conversation demonstrates that when you do hit these patches, mm-hmm. you just wrestle it out with brothers and sisters. You just wrestle it out or you wrestle it out with the Lord or yeah. you, you know what I mean? You don't just say, I don't like it. So I'm just going to go away and not, you know, not read my Bible or what have you. Right. Because that's what Satan wants. Right. Um, but the Lord is big enough. He can handle whether, you know, your feelings or mm-hmm. um, I'm sticking with it. I'm not walking away. The culture and the times may be different, but the yeah. God whose heart is reaching out in love yes. to redeem a lost people is yeah. on display in the Old and New Testament. Amen. Yes. Saturday was silent. Surely it was through. Since when I was impossible, ever stopped you. We were just talking about uh, reading through the Old Testament, and we got uh, several texts from listeners, but one just simply said, thank you for talking about this. I've struggled through the Old Testament Mm. and not made it through, Mm -hmm. and they were just wanting Mm. to know, and this is a pretty common question, what are you using to help you get through? Uh, Well, talking about it to Dave and Bill, number one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple things I will say. I did a lot of Beth Moore Bible studies back in the day and Beth, I have to really give her a lot of credit. She caused me to just fall in love with the scriptures. She truly did. Paige Brown, a Bible teacher that I love has totally opened my eyes and, and Bill, you too just has shown me how the whole narrative of the Bible works together. Mm-hmm. Cause I think I probably had it differentiated in my mind for a long time. The old Testament you know, and that and that happens where a lot of people feel like the God of the Old Testament is wrathful, um, but the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament the same too. God. It's the same. It's the same God. So I think <laughs> being in Bible study 
I love First and Second Samuel. I love Esther. I mm. love the Psalms. I love Genesis. Genesis mm-hmm. is one of my favorite books of the Bible. So I think I Daniel. I love Daniel. Yeah. So I think taking it book by book for for what it is and really digging into some of the stories that yeah. you know the story of David, the story of da- Daniel and the lions den, and really searching and reading the scriptures. That and I know this is becoming a long answer, but I think getting into a Bible study. Also getting under good, solid teaching where the teacher knows what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And Paige Brown is that person for me. Yeah. And then I think the third thing is what I keep talking about. Get in a Bible reading plan, whether it be Nikki Gumbel, uh, Bible in a Year, or Tara Lee Cobble, where once you've read the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament passage, you've got someone on the back end and podcast in a seven, eight minute podcast that will tell you, explain to you what you just read. Yes. And just all of that together and then honestly just coming with an open heart and just saying god teach me what you you know what you want me to know out of this passage there are a lot of misconceptions a lot of people don't spend time in the old testament because they think like you said that's the old testament wrathful god and that doesn't really translate to new testament and christianity but the truth is you find a lot of grace a lot of mercy a lot of redemption in the old testament but also you know, it, it's a little bit like if you don't know what hot feels like, you can't really appreciate cold. Yeah. Yes, the Old Testament has a lot of wrath and judgment of God. Mm-hmm. But without the wrath and the judgment of God in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. you don't appreciate the grace that we need in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It all has to work together. Yeah, That's it does. Right. And the last thing I'll say, and I have to give credit to Bill for this, and he has told this to me over and over and over and over, and I didn't quite hear it. And then Paige said it in a different <laughs> way, but I am giving you the original credit. I'm giving you the original like credit. I know it is. You can't, you can't look, you can't read the Old Testament through your modern lens. Yeah. And so we read the Old Testament and there are some tough passages. Dad's, you know, pushing daughters out to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's awful. Mm-hmm. But it was just it was a different day and God was trying to show them who he was. And yes. I think I was putting my modern today lens on those. Um, I struggle with Esther. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really struggle with Esther and that's so many people's favorite book of the Bible. You just, you have to, you have to read it and take it for the time period that it in was. It, in its context. Yes. And if you want help with the Tara Lee Cobble thing, yes. I think that was actually her question. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Sorry. But, uh, is Just go to the morningcruise.com. Yes, yes. Right there. We'll show you how to get involved in the, sure. the what's it called? The, the, Bible, the Bible recap. Bible recap. Yeah. That's and it. there's a quick star. It's all at the morningcruise.com. I don't know if you've heard about this and I am not... A Costco person. We don't have a Costco membership. Uh, I think I did for like a hot minute years ago. I don't have one near enough to my house Yeah, to make it worth it. There's just not uh, – the big warehouse idea was just not something that we, we participated in. I will say this, though. A lot of people do. And, of course, with Costco, that's part of the big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Buy in bulk. In fact – when they first started, that was the joke. You know, you were buying, you know, six tons of plastic forks. <laughs> right. But you were getting them so cheap that it was worthwhile. Well, Costco's got a new item. And it is flying off the shelves. But here's the deal. You can't buy it in bulk. Hmm. You can only get two items per customer. But those two items are each one ounce of 24-karat gold. Oh. Costco is selling 
gold bars, one ounce gold bars. And they are limiting it to two per customer. Mm -hmm. It is a member only item, but they are saying that. Is this this because we need to diversify because of the economy? That's what I was thinking. A lot of people in today's economy (laughs) Mm -hmm. are investing in gold. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's what hit Costco or not. But who'd have thought that Costco would suddenly be buying or selling gold? Right. And um, yeah, I, I, I mean, most gold is sold in the form of certificates now, not physical gold this, bars, but this is. They are selling gold bars, one ounce gold bars. And of course, market price, you're looking at about almost $1,900 an ounce right now. <sighs> so, you know, buying in bulk in this case, if you get the two, that's 3800 bucks. Yeah. at Costco. That's like six years worth of groceries. <laughs> so, but they say that they're loading them up on their website. And as soon as they put them up on the website, they're gone in hours. Oh, I bet. I bet. There's a couple of podcasts that I listen to. And um, that's one. I can't think of the gold company now. There's several of them. There's several there are, yeah. of them. Yeah. Where <clears> they yeah. they talk about, you know, the gold is the new standard or diversify with gold. And oh, I like everybody. I can hear the commercials in my mm-hmm. head now. Buy gold, mm-hmm. physical yeah. gold. Here's yep. the deal. It's gone up 15% mm-hmm. over the past year. Over the last five years, the price of gold has gone up 55%. Yes. Which is, you I, don't know know, that, I don't know if it's, you know, that's the reason they're they're saying buy gold is because it's increased in so much value in the last five years, or if the value has gone up so much in the last five years because so many people are buying gold. Whether it's, you know, egg or chicken first. Yeah. That's pretty astounding. It is astounding. I will say this, you know, as a Christian, our, our, as Christians, our our ultimate hope is not in the economy of sure. this world, which will ultimately fail. Mm-hmm. Our ultimate hope is in God's provision. But I will say this, years ago, we we had uh, somebody pass away and, and inherited some money, not a, not a ton, but I wanted to buy some gold and I got talked out of it. Mm. And I wish I hadn't got talked out of it because it was $700 an ounce back then. Wow. <laughs> it would have been worth it. It's almost three times I as much. I know. I know. I know. So, well, well, you know, 2020 hindsight. Here's the thing, though. If you get cold feet after you buy the gold at Costco, mm-hmm. yeah, no returns, no refunds. That's part you of gotta, the issue. You got to sell it on your own. Yeah. And I don't think too many people are going to be selling gold on Marketplace. So that's not, you're not going to be able to put it up on Facebook and say, meet me at the Costco parking lot. With $3,800, and I'll sell you my gold. We were just talking about buying gold at Costco, and it reminded me of something. that When I was a kid, um, you know, there are certain places in your house when you're growing up that just seem like, uh, I don't know, they're weird places when you go in. Like, for example, we had a living room that nobody ever used. Mm -hmm. And it eventually got turned into my bedroom when my younger brother was born. But when it was a living room, it was like nobody went in it. And it just, it was like this strange room that just, you walk down the hallway and it's like, I don't know, should I (laughs) go in there? You know, Um, my mom and dad's walk-in closet was almost like a magical place. Hmm. And I don't know why. Hmm. Probably because nobody else in the house had a walk-in closet. And you go in and their mom's clothes on the right, dad's clothes on the left. But also in that closet, my dad had a box. And in that box, he kept silver coins. Mm. And this was silver coins before they started putting copper in them. Yeah. And you can always tell if you take a quarter and you turn it sideways, you can see that little strip of brown. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. the copper. But 
back in the day, oh, yeah. early on, they were pure silver. So anytime my dad would come across a pure silver coin, if he got it in change somewhere or something like that, it went in that box. I have no idea where, where that box is right now. It could mm. still be in that walk-in closet for all there. I know. Yeah. Yes. But it was full of quarters, dimes, silver dollars, half dollars. And I can remember times mm-hmm. when I would just sneak into that master closet and just peek into that box. Mm. Remember the old uh, cigar boxes, the, the 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 wooden cigar boxes that you opened oh, yeah, the lid? Yeah. I have one of those somewhere, had one of those. And every year we had a friend of the family who would send me a silver ingot from a mint, Denver mint or I think Louisville. I can't remember where the mints yeah. were from. But I'd get a pure silver ingot, which was about an inch and a half or an inch long yeah. and just probably a, around an half ounce an inch or so. wide. Yeah. yeah, it probably about an ounce of silver. And I remember that in several of those cases, I opened them up and handled them, which of course got fingerprints and began to get some tarnish on them. Should have left them in mint condition. Mm-hmm. But supposedly they're still around. Like I think my mom had them in a safety deposit box. I don't know where they are these days. But mm. you have collections like that. And you at, the, at some point in life, you're like, oh, I wonder where that collection is. These are, this is how the buried gold now? stories yeah. got started a generation ago, right? Yeah. My dad told me about buried gold in the family. Where's the buried gold? You always think, oh, it's going to be something big. But this is one of those stories that my kids will tell their kids about buried silver. Right. Which you know, may or may not exist. We could all be rich today, <laughs> but <laughs> your grandpa lost all that right, silver. Right, right. You know, Dave, you got me sitting over here thinking about not just one of my grandmother's house or my grandparents' house, but honestly, both of them. Because mm-hmm. you were talking about how growing up there were just those rooms in the house that you just didn't go to. Yes. It wasn't just one of my grandparents. It was both. My mama and papa Brown. They had a two-bedroom house. It was just a small house. It's so funny. Like, if I went back to that house now, it would be tiny. Yeah. But it was just what we knew. I mean, yeah. it was just Mama and Papa's house. Oh, yeah. But they literally lived in, I mean, one little section of the house. There was the kitchen mm-hmm. and the place where the table was and the den. It was all right there together. Their bedroom and their bathroom, and that was it. Yeah. But if you went through the, there was like a, a swinging door, in the kitchen that went to what we called the front room, which <laughs> was the living room, another bedroom, and another another bathroom. Well, we just never ever went in that room. You just did not go to the the front yeah. room. So when I got a little bit older, probably I don't know, ten, eleven, twelve years old, and I'd go spend the night at my grandparents' house. I would stay in that front bedroom where I would go through the swinging door, stay in that front bedroom. And I don't know if this sounds weird or not, but it was almost eerie. Oh, yeah. No, I totally get that. You just, we never went up there. I can count maybe on, on one hand, probably two fingers that I can remember in my lifetime that we were in that front room and someone stopped by and visited from the church one day. And I think there might've been a holiday but that part of the house was even colder than the sure. other part of the house because mm-hmm. you didn't put on the space uh-huh. heaters to heat it. So that was Mama's house. Well, Meemaw, my mom's mom, same thing. We had, and this is the thing that cracks me up that I'm sitting over here. I don't know if anybody can relate, but my Meemaw never went through the front door, always through the garage, sure. never locked a door. They didn't even know what a locked door no, was. No, that was us. Nobody ever came yeah, to the front door. Never. Everybody came to the back. So mm-hmm. there was a living room. 
We never went in there except on Christmas. That was the only time we were ever in that living room. That's where the Christmas tree was. And then there was a den. That's always where we watched, you know, Richard Dawson, Family Feud, Mm -hmm. and the stories. (laughs) And I can remember in the den, I can remember the one time Meemaw, for whatever reason, I don't know if she was washing the sheets or what, but the sheets were always over the couches. Mm -hmm. You just did not sit on the couch. You sat on the sheet. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just always, that was normal to me. But I can remember the sheets were off one day, and she did let me sit on the couch. And I can just remember thinking, this is such a pretty couch. It was a beautiful right. pattern. That you never yeah. saw. That I never saw. Yeah, but that's yeah. why the sheets were on it, was yeah, to keep to it that beautiful. It. Yes. So that no one could ever yes. see it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that my grandmother t- t- taught me that has been instilled in me to this day, and Pete and I do this, I never lay, I never lay on the bedspread. She would always teach me to lay your bedspread back. Don't mm-hmm. lay on it because all your oils, the oils from your body, it'll mm-hmm. it'll stay a lot longer if you don't lay on it. Mm-hmm. So I always keep it folded back, sure. and we just like kind of make it up from the blankets. But you're right, you had rooms. Oh yeah, you just didn't go in. My grandma and grandpa at had a three bedroom, two bath house. They lived in the kitchen, mm-hmm. the, which had an eat in dining area. It had a formal dining room that we only used to set out the buffet at Christmas. They had a back bedroom and a bathroom that nobody ever used. And then right across from their bedroom was what had been my Uncle Harry and Larry's room. Yeah. The twins. Yeah. And it was almost spooky. Yes. Because nobody ever went went in there. there. Yes. They considered them extra rooms in some cases. Isn't it crazy, though, Mm -hmm. that the houses, the size houses that we Oh, build yeah. these days. They would be mansions. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Higher standards when yeah. I say three bedroom, two bath yeah. house, yeah. it was probably 1,200 square feet yes. if they were lucky. Yes. And my grandpa and grandma Brown lived right across the street from us. Yeah. And again, two small bedrooms with yep. a bathroom in between, mm-hmm. a living room, and an eat in kitchen. Mm-hmm. Maybe 1,000 feet, square feet, M- maybe. Probably. I mean, my mom and papa were probably about the same. It makes me want to fly back to Alabama and go knock on my mom and papa's house and just say, hi, you don't know me, but can I just walk through the house just oh, for, don't, talk don't, about don't, core don't memories. Don't be that woman. I know, but just think about it. That's a core memory. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I can picture that house. I, I mean, my mom used to make me chicken and dumplings every day yeah. or every year on my birthday. And I can just, I can picture the whole thing. I can picture all of it. Wouldn't it be weird if you did go back yeah. and they let you in and uh-huh. they didn't use the front of the house either? If that would be really <laughs> weird. That would be weird. But I would love just to walk through the house and just, I don't know, just remember. Hmm. Here's what's so crazy. How many years did we sit here on this show and watch Tim Tebow when he was at the height of his college career? Mm-hmm. Number 15, Florida Gators. And we even watched him when he played pro. I remember him being with the Broncos. I mean, he was with several different teams, but the Broncos in particular. And who would have ever guessed that we would talk to his wife on this show before we ever had a chance to talk to him? We rubbed elbows a little bit with yeah. him and some events he was doing sure. and crossing paths, but we've we've never had him on the show. Yeah. But yeah. we're going to be talking to Demi mm-hmm. coming up here. But, but Demi is involved in something that you're going to want to know about. Yeah. And she's involved in several things, philanthropic type things, and has been for most of her life as, first of all, Miss South Africa Miss and then Miss Universe. Universe. Yeah. And she, they live in Jacksonville, Florida. 
And Demi is hosting a conference this weekend. I think it's the first of its kind in Jacksonville. She's hosted these type conferences in other places, I think even in her home country. But it's called Unbreakable. And coming up, we're going to talk to Demi. As Carmen mentioned, for the first time, we're catching up with a Tebow. Not Tim, but Demi. Demi, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Hi, Carmen. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be able to connect with you guys. So you have something that's coming up really soon in Jacksonville. It's called the Unbreakable Conference. Is this the first one that you're doing in Jacksonville? Is this, is this the inaugural event? Yes, yeah, so this is our first one. Okay. This is now my, my hometown, Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. We have had unbreakable workshops um, in, in various countries, actually. But, yes, they started back in South Africa. And so post-pandemic, things are back and open and happening. And we're so excited to finally be able to have an unbreakable workshop here in Jacksonville, Florida. And um, there's just a few tickets left. So if you guys want to come and haven't bought your ticket yet, be sure to go and visit um, social media pages. All the information is out there that you need. Um, We're so excited to be having it. And I am so excited about my guest speakers. You know, I am definitely not an expert. I have a story and I have an experience to be able to share, but I'm definitely no expert. So one of my my biggest things with Unbreakable is that I really want to bring um, experts in the field to be able to present to our audience. And so we have Dr. Caroline Leaf, um, who is a neuropsychologist, neuroscientist. She has so many accolades. She's incredibly smart. I've learned so much from her throughout the years. She will be one of our our keynote speakers. We also have Eve Torres-Gracie, who's part of the legendary Gracie family that founded Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. She's also a three-time WWE champion, so you know that's just going to be so fun Mm -hmm. and exciting, and there will be practical examples. We also have our partners, IJM, and um, we have a holistic health practitioner, Dr. Cody, from who's a co-founder of the company Mixers, which is a women's health supplement company that will be joining us and will be able to present to our audience, um, you know, different, different, different from different perspectives, different walks of life. We have the physical aspect, we have the emotional um, safety aspect, we have the psychological aspect, we have the woman empowerment aspect from a business perspective. We have, um, you know, the way that we can feel our body so that we can show up and be our best every single day perspective. So it's just going to be a super fun, um, all-encompassing day that, you know, I hope women get to walk away feeling so confident. That is Demi Tebow. She is the wife of Tim Tebow, and the conference is called Unbreakable. It's going on in Jacksonville this weekend. You can check the details at our website, thejoyfm.com been talking with Demi Tebow about the Unbreakable Conference. It's coming up this weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. We've got the details at thejoyfm.com. This came out of a really hard experience that kind of birthed this. Can you tell us a a little bit about that? I was a a victim of an armed carjack situation back in my home country, South Africa, in 2017. And I had previously done multiple self-defense workshops and safety driving courses. And that terrifying, very traumatic situation where, you know, I had multiple men surrounding my vehicle, where I had a a firearm pointing right to my head, where I tried to get out of the car, broad daylight, peak hour traffic, 
hop bus five in the afternoon on a big avenue with multiple lanes. Um, and I tried to run away and the guy on my side of the car grabbed me and tried to push me back in the vehicle. Wow. You know, I remembered a couple of things, really just a few things that I was able to learn prior to that situation. And, you know, they say knowledge is power. Well, in that instance, I really experienced it for myself. I remember two very important things. One, do not ever go to the second destination. Whatever mm-hmm, is going to mm-hmm. happen, half past five, broad daylight, peak hour traffic, you know, with hundreds of people around you, it's most probably not going to get any better somewhere downtown in some dark alley with 10 other of their friends. I think we can probably all mm-hmm. assume that that would be the case, right? And the second thing I learned in a self-defense workshop was the throat. Punched the guy as hard as I could in his throat. I got out of that vehicle and I ran up that avenue in my six-inch high heels, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I always say that's my secret power. Yeah, yeah. Try running uh, uphill in six-inch high heels. (laughs) Well, you know, the most terrifying part of that situation was not necessarily being surrounded by multiple men with a gun pointing to my head, that was pretty terrifying. But what was even worse was running up that avenue, knocking on window after window, and nobody would stop to help me. That was Mm. probably the most terrifying part of all of this. I remember at one point I looked over my shoulder, not knowing if I'm being chased by these men, not knowing what their intention was, not knowing if I'm being shot in the back. I eventually reached an intersection and a small little old, old little car swerved over all the lanes, nearly causing a big accident. And this young girl, she was about 19 years old at the time, probably in South Africa, you're only allowed to start driving legally when you're 18. So she probably just got her driver's license. Mm -hmm. So she pulled over with this old little car, rolled down her little car window and, you know, said, get in, I'll I'll take you to safety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that young lady was willing to be interruptible for a complete stranger that was in desperate need. Mm -hmm. As I went through that healing process of, of going through that trauma, she was able to take me to a safe place, long story short, and I'm here today to be able to tell that story. But that situation and that young woman served as a catalyst in my life to learning about all the evils that women face on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I just realized, you know, may that moment serve as a catalyst in my life to saying never again will I turn a blind eye, will I pretend not to see, pretend not to hear, but Will I go and do something to mm-hmm. help somebody in need? And that is how Unbreakable was born. And I hope that every single woman that walks out of those doors will walk away with knowledge um, that translates to power, that walk away with confidence, that feel equipped, empowered, and educated to go and handle not just a once-off, maybe might happen to you, hopefully never situation like a carjack, but everyday life situations. You know, I hope that every woman walk out of those doors feeling equipped, educated, and empowered to break barriers and to overcome challenges in their everyday life. Well, Demi, we're going to put all of the links at themorningcruise.com. So if you are listening to us this morning, it's happening in Jacksonville, October 7th, Saturday, starts at 10 a.m., the Church of 1122. This is for women. Women, um, 14 and up. We will make sure everything is at themorningcruise.com. Thank you for doing this, Demi. Thank you for having me. Inestimable is the big word of the day today. It's an adjective, and it is incapable of being estimated or assessed. In other words, it's of incalculable value. Value beyond measure or priceless 
you might say. It's an old word that goes back to Middle English, but it's still a very good word for us today. Inestimable. Just make sure that you say it with the right number of syllables. I-N and the word estimable. And here's a sentence to go along with the conversation we had earlier about gold and silver. Silver and gold will buy a lot, but faith is of inestimable worth. Yes, I did it. It's the big word of the day today, inestimable. This 